leadership anchored and driven by the Father's love is necessary for human flourishing. All right, I'm going to say it again. Healthy authority and leadership anchored in and driven by the Father's love is necessary for human flourishing. That's the point that Paul makes in our text this morning, and and he uses the, the illustration of father and children. He uses the illustration of father and children to communicate this beautiful, beautiful truth. And so if you have a Bible, uh, you can meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be uh, reading from verse 14 to 21, from 14 to 21. It'll be up on the screen, but I'm going to do something slightly different this morning. I usually read the passage to you, and then we pray. I pray for you, you pray for me. Uh, but we're not going to do that this morning. I'm not going to read it. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to go directly in, because it's a short passage, and so we're going to literally just walk through it, word by word, line by line unpacking this beautiful truth that healthy authority and leadership anchored in and driven by the Father's love is essential, it's necessary for human flourishing, all right? And so let's, let's pray. I'm going to pray for you, you pray for me. Uh, let's ask God to do what only He can do. Father, we thank You for this opportunity. We thank You that we can gather together as uh, Your people seeking to know You. Uh, we ask that You would make uh, Your Word alive that it is active and that it would transform our hearts, that it would meet us where we are, that we all come in here from different places. Even thinking about this topic this morning, it's something that all of us struggle with, submitting under authority and leadership. And so I'm asking that you would uh, show us that we need to, that if we are to flourish as a church and as humanity, that we need to submit under healthy authority and leadership. But this needs to be driven by you. And so would you reveal to us this morning our desperate need for you. I pray against any distractions here this morning that we would hear from you clearly. And so it's to that end that I ask that you would stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May they be a sweet fragrance to you. Lord, you are our King. You are our Redeemer. Would you have your way in this place this morning? In Jesus' beautiful, beautiful name we pray. Amen. Now just to give a little bit of context before we jump in. uh, Last week we uh, wrapped up by seeing that Paul was being sarcastic to the church in Corinth. All right, he was talking about what it means to be a servant. He was talking about kingdom servanthood. He was, in a sense, defending his apostleship. There were a few people that were saying, listen, we don't know if Paul is legit. We don't know uh, if he has the right to come and tell us what to do and what not to do. And so Paul says, listen, I'm going to defend my apostleship, but it's going to be different. I'm not going to use my title. I'm not going to bash you, but I'm rather going to come in and serve you. That I am just a servant. And, And so we saw some pretty incredible things last week. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to go listen to it. It was phenomenal in understanding what it means to be a servant. But at the end of it, he he wraps up by saying, hey, guys, listen, don't fill yourself up with pride. Don't puff yourself up. Don't think you know it all. And then he goes into this holy sarcasm, this this holy laughter, if you will. We actually heard uh, someone do it last week. I don't know if they'll do it for us again this week. Where are you, Tiamo? Will you you just give us what holy laughter sounds like? No, no, 
Not, not, not today. Not, not, not today. But, but, but he, he, he wraps it up by, by almost laughing at the church in Corinth and going, guys, listen, th- th- don't be foolish. Don't be stupid. You are in desperate need of a Savior. He almost makes fun of them. He makes fun of them. And so we pick up this morning where he ended last week. Verse 14, Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. He says, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm not trying to shame you. That's not my intention as I, as I laugh at you with a holy laughter. He says, I write these things, it's but to admonish you as my beloved children, to admonish you as my beloved children. This word admonish is to, to warn. I do this because I want to warn you. I want to protect you. I care for you. I mean, we, we see it because he, he calls them beloved children. There's this intimacy, this intimacy. He says, church, I care about you. I'm not trying to make fun of you. I'm not going to go post what I've said on Facebook about you so that the world can laugh at you. No, I I do this because I'm warning you. I'm protecting you. I love you because you're my children. You're my beloved children. See, for Paul, there was a personal interest for the people in Corinth. A personal interest. It wasn't just professional. He wasn't just the church planter slash pastor. No, it wasn't just a professional relationship. It was a personal one. He cared deeply for them. Verse 15, he says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Some versions will say you have 10,000 instructors in Christ. But you do not have any fathers. This is so true for us today. I mean, think about it. So many of us sitting here, myself included, we, we have so many instructors. We have so many people speaking into our lives, but they're not doing that from a, a, a personal relationship. They're not doing that from a position of father and children. And so it's easy for them to say certain things. Hey, I think you should be doing this. I think you should be doing that. But when things get tough, when the heat gets turned on, all of a sudden it's hard to get a hold of them. Let, let me push this uh, illustration a little bit further. Uh, it's almost like that uncle, you know the uncle that you have, the one that always brings you things and always tells you this is what you should be studying and this is what you should be doing with your life. Maybe you don't have one. Maybe, maybe it's an aunt. Uh, maybe it's a cousin. Maybe it's a friend, a neighbor, a colleague. You always have that person that's like, listen, I think you should make this decision. This is what you should be doing. And then you go, okay, cool, I really trust you. I'll do it. And then it doesn't work out, and then you want to go back to them, and then crickets. We all have that person in our lives. And so Paul is saying, listen, even in the church in Corinth, that that there are people like that who want to give you all this instruction. But maybe it's from a a more professional relationship than a personal one. That maybe they're thinking about themselves more than they're thinking about what's best for you. And so that's why they're always around when things are good, things are bad. You struggle to reach them when things are bad. And so Paul says, no, 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 I I come to you as a father. 
Because we are in desperate need of fathers. Let me push this. We are in desperate need of parents. Friends, I've, I've been fortunate enough to disciple men uh, since 2006. I became a Christian in 2005. I was discipled in 2000. 2004 became a Christian, discipled 2005, and I've been discipling men since 2006. There hasn't been a year that I haven't poured my life intentionally into the lives of others. And in all those uh, relationships, the times that I have heard, man, I just I don't have a good relationship with my dad. Man, I don't know my father. Oh man, I just my, my, my parents, man, it's just it's not the greatest relationship. It's not one that I look to and go, man, that's what I want for my life. Over and over and over and over again. And it does something to us. It, it impacts us. Don't think it doesn't. You might sit here and, and you go, you know what? I don't need them. I'll be okay without them. This doesn't impact me. It does. It does. That's why for us, and when I say us, I'm talking about millennials here, but this could be true for anyone, that we struggle to submit under any leadership. Any leadership. It's a massive battle because of what's happened to us before. And so we have trust issues. And so if you're a leader here and you're wondering, man, at my city group, or maybe you're discipling a few people, or maybe you're, you're leading here in one of the different ministries that we have here at the church, and you're going, it's really tough just to lead certain folk. I want you to be patient. I want you to be patient because they're wrestling with some things. They're wrestling with trust issues. The fact that they are present, it's a massive deal. You take that win. And in a sense, they, they're present and, they, and they're going, I'm actually just testing you. I want to submit because I believe that, that all of us, all of us, all of us, we desire healthy authority and leadership. We do. But then we test it. We go, mm, I, I don't know. So I'm going to push back a little bit. I'm going to rebel a little bit. And, and when, when we do that, when we do that, we're, we're, we're testing the environment. We're going, I want to see if you're going to leave me like I've been left before. That's what I'm doing. Someone's made promises like this to me before. That I want to disciple you. That I want to lead you. That I know what's best for you. And you're going, I've been down this road before. Even though my heart desires it, I've been down this road before, and so I'm not sure, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test you a little bit. I'm going to rebel, because I want to see if you're going to stay. Do you have the long game in mind, or, or when things get hard, you go, oh, what, this is too difficult for me, let me go find some other people. Hey, can I lead you? Can I disciple? Ooh, too difficult. Okay, I'm going to find someone else. So leaders, be patient. Be thankful they're in the room. Let them wrestle. Let them rebel. But walk alongside them. Remind them that you will never leave them. And so Paul is saying, you guys have countless guides. You have countless instructors. You have many individuals who, who say that they want to be your parents, your spiritual parents, but they don't. They're in it for the fame. They're, they're in it to go, look how many people we have gathering at our event, at our church but aren't willing to do the work of being fathers and mothers. He says, you do not have many fathers 
For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He says, listen, I have become your father through the gospel. Not because I decided to. Not, it's not for my benefit. It's because of the gospel. It's because of the work of Jesus. What he's done on the cross. That now I get to serve you. That word is so important. I get to serve you by being a father to you. But all of this is in and through the gospel. And so the only benefit that I have here is for you, to see you grow and, and to you t- to find Christ. For him to be your everything. I'm here to serve you as a father in the gospel. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again because it's incredibly important for where we're going. The world desires, the world desires loving parents. We are in desperate need of loving parents. And we, even as millennials, we desire it. But like I've said, we've been hurt. We've been hurt and so we'll challenge it. But it doesn't take away the fact that healthy authority and leadership is necessary for human flourishing. Healthy authority and leadership, no matter how, how, how much you've been hurt, it doesn't take away the fact that healthy authority and leadership is necessary for human flourishing. Stephen T. Um, a biblical theologian, he, he says this, the more free we become and the more gifted we become as individuals, the more we will need thoughtful and careful authority to help us flourish. This is so true. This is so true. And so even as I think about Rooted, as, as kind of we grow and, and people become aware of their gifts and they want to enter into spaces where they can serve using their gifts, as the Lord works in and through us, we become in desperate need of more thoughtful and careful authority to help us flourish. Maybe think of a choir, all right? Think of a choir. It has gifted singers who are wonderfully talented. They are totally free in their creativity, totally free in their ability to sing. Some of them, the ability to sing whatever they want. You know some of those people? Like it frustrates me. They'll do a hymn and kill it and then do like an Alicia Keys song. And I'm like, Wait, what, just, what just happened here? Like, I, incredibly gifted. They have the freedom to do whatever they want. But if they want to sing a beautiful piece, now I'm talking about them now being in the context of this choir. So you, you gather uh, multiple voices, all gifted If they want to sing a beautiful piece, they have to submit themselves to the authority of the piece that they are singing and to a conductor. They have to submit themselves to the piece that they are singing, that they have studied and learned and are mastering. And they must submit themselves to a conductor. See, different interpretations of the piece are possible. So all the musicians must freely submit to the conductor's interpretation. You know this to be true. You can take one song and you can sing it in various ways and in various forms. 
And so if you gather all these gifted individuals and each one of them is thinking, well, I'm going to do this piece and I'm going to do that piece, it's going to be chaos. So they have to submit not only to the piece, but to the conductor's interpretation as well. See, the singers flourish both as individuals. They will flourish both as individuals and as a community, as a collective, when they submit to an authority that seeks to leverage power for the individual's good. That all of this is for the individual's good, but also for the good of everyone else. It's for the good of everyone else. Maybe this might be easier for me to explain it this way. I'm going to show you a quick video. And hopefully it will resonate with what I'm trying to say. Ooh. 
There's a, there's a couple things um, I, I want you guys to notice from that. Um, a couple uh, applications that I, I think are crucial for us to understand. Um, the one thing is, d- did you notice the conductor? Now, now I know because of, of it was filmed and there were the different angles, but, but maybe if you were seated there in the crowd, ask yourself how many times you would look at the conductor. I mean, you know he's there. Maybe you see him uh, when you walk in or when they walk in at the beginning of the performance. But, but as the performance continues, your eyes move from the conductor to the performance. Your eyes move from this individual to the collective. And so I find it interesting in, in today's time where churches are, are being made up of this one individual. It's him on the screen and him on the books and him on the, when you're driving down the highway. Look, and again, I'm not trying to be that guy. Some of those are incredible men and women doing faithful things. But it's not about the conductor. It's not about the conductor. I want to go as far as to say it's not even about the choir. Yes, incredible voices. Incredible voices, and, and I love the diversity there. It speaks a little bit to us being transcultural, but, but the diversity of the vocal cords. It's rich, and it's all in submission to the conductor, but it's in submission to the peace. It's in submission to the peace. And so, yes, we're blown away by the choir, but, but I think true artists would go, I was blown away by the peace. I was blown away by, by, by the song. We should be blown away by the peace, by the word of God. That's what should blow us away. And so, yes, the collective, that is who God uses by grace. But at the end of the day, it's not about us, but rather what we're communicating. And then the last thing, and we'll go back to the text, the last thing is, by show of hands, who understood what the song was about? Show of hands. All right, take a look look around. Not not many, right? Okay, cool. Now, by show of hands, who, who was blown away by the performance or the piece? You don't have to understand, at first glance, everything that's happening to be blown away. And so, in a sense, the church is like that. That, guys, there are people who are looking in. They are looking in. They are watching us, and they're going, there's, some, there's something about this community. I don't know exactly what it is. I, I don't know what it is that ties them together. I don't know what it is that, that gets them to be in the same room, even though they're from different walks of life. But there's something different about that community. And then they begin to investigate, because I know for sure some of you may go home and then on your phones, kind of Google and go, hey, I just want to know, what's that song about and who is that? We do this all the time. Maybe you'll go to someone whose hand was up and be like, hey, can you, like, where can I get that? I know Carlo in the back, every time we do something like this, the very next week he's like, listen, man, not only was I listening to this, but I found a whole bunch of other stuff. And so, friends, I want you to know that people are watching And they don't have to know everything. 
But if we submit ourselves to the Word of God, if we submit ourselves to healthy authority and leadership, we will flourish and we'll flourish in a way where those who don't know Jesus will look into this community and go, there's something different here. It smells different. They think different. They act different. And because the world desires it, they'll take a step towards it. And then another step. And then they'll start asking questions. Who is this Jesus you guys talk about? The greatest apologetic is the body of Christ. It's not some systematic book, though those are great. It's not this one individual, this theologian, though they are great. The greatest apologetic is the body of Christ that submits to the Word of God and to healthy authority and leadership. Then we will flourish. And so Paul is saying, I'm just seeking to be a faithful parent. I'm just seeking to be a faithful parent to you. Something that is often not wanted, but it is needed. It is needed. But then in verse 16, he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. I urge you then, be imitators of me. We find this similar language in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, where he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Hebrews 13 verse 7 says something very similar. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so when Paul says imitate me, he's not just saying imitate me because I'm Paul. No, he's saying imitate me because my eyes are fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. That my eyes are fixed on the cross, that I am imitating the cross. Paul is saying, I'm just imitating the cross. And so, imitate me as I imitate the cross. Now, why the cross? Because the cross shapes everything. If you're a Christian here, you would know this, that the cross shapes everything. It's a game changer. The, the cross shapes sacrifice. The, the cross shapes victory. The cross shapes, shapes submission. The cross shapes love and commitment. I could go on and on and on. But the cross shapes everything. Now, if you're sitting and you're going, well, that doesn't really make sense. Well, the cross shapes sacrifice. We look to the cross and we see Jesus who willingly sacrificed his life for us. So it shapes the way we sacrifice. It shapes victory. That it didn't end there, that he resurrected that he's victorious over death and sin, and so it shapes victory, our understanding of victory. It shapes love and commitment. That Jesus stared at the cross and then went towards it because he loves us. He loves us. He's committed to us. There were times where he could have backed out. He could have said, you know what? No, this is getting too intense. He could have backed out, but he, he doesn't. He's committed He's committed to the mission. He's committed to us. So the cross shapes everything. And so Paul says, follow me. Imitate me as I imitate and follow the cross. Another way of saying it is, is if in heaven, if heaven did a DNA test of you and I, if heaven did a DNA test of the church and there is no cross, then you are not a child of God. If heaven was to do a DNA test of us and there is no cross, we are not children of God. 
And this is because the cross shapes everything. It changes everything. It's the very reason that we can move from death to life, from darkness to light. So Paul says, imitate me, follow me as I imitate and follow Christ. Verse 17, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul is saying, I have one drum and I beat one tune to it. And that is Jesus Christ, Him crucified for the forgiveness of your sins. And then the implications of that. He's like, that's all I have for you. That is all I have for you. Some of you are here uh, seeking gimmicks and tricks. He's like, I don't have that. I have Jesus Christ crucified. That's all I have. And as a faithful parent in the Lord, that's what I'm going to give you. Day in and day out. He says, I send Timothy who's going to remind you of this. But Verse 18, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon. If the Lord wills, I will find out Not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. You see, the arrogance of the Corinthians is not an open rebellion against Paul's authority. Their arrogant self-importance is like that of little children who have the house to themselves when parents have slipped out for a minute. I know too much about this. Paul warns them that the father will be coming soon. And he better find everything in order. Some supposing Paul would not come have become inflated with arrogance, with pride. And so Paul warns them. He says, I'm on my way, so you better be ready. Talk is cheap. You better be able to back up what you're saying. Talk is cheap. He says to them, show me your power, not your talk. Show me your power. Not just your talk. See, arrogance will always misrepresent the truth. And arrogance will always fail in the end. Because big talk will not win, especially when action is required. You know these people. Big talkers. But when it's time to produce, nothing. And so Paul says, then show me your power. Paul is saying to them that they are like uh, helium balloons. They're like helium balloons. They're a lot of fun to play with. And they're great on the first day, maybe even the second, when they're inflated. Lots of fun. They'll rise easily to the ceiling, and they may even remain there, all colorful, out of reach. But after a few hours or maybe some days, the helium begins to leak, and they begin to descend to the floor. Paul is writing to the body of believers. He's writing to those who are high. High on themselves. Who have maybe raised to the ceiling. They are balloon Christians. But their time will come. Their time will come. And so Paul says, listen, you all talk, but show me your power. Now I know... Some of us, we, we hear the word power and then we quickly run to, okay, Paul's talking about miracles. He's talking about the ability maybe to, to make money, to gather a large crowd, to grow churches. Maybe that's the power that Paul is talking about. And so he's saying, listen, I'll show you my power or the power that I have in Christ. And now you show me yours. Show me your church. 
Show you, me your city group. Show me your bank account. Now, I'm not saying that, that God can't do those things. God is sovereign. He has the power to do any of those things. But I don't believe that that's the power Paul is talking about here. Especially if he's coming from talking about how the, the cross shapes you. It's a different kind of power. Paul's talking about a different kind of power. And don't miss it. Don't miss it. If we had time, we would go to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus talks about the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are those who are weak. Blessed are those who are persecuted. The power that Paul is talking about here is, is the power to be content. The power to be content when you have nothing. That's a power I believe you and I need. The, the power to continue to love when we are persecuted. The power to forgive when we've been hurt. That's a different kind of power. And so Paul is saying, listen, I'm going to come. You are persecuting me. You are persecuting me, but I'm going to come and I'm going to continue to love you. I'm going to continue to show grace and mercy to you. And it's going to freak you out because you're going to be standing going, okay, we're ready. We're ready for him to retaliate. Right? It's pain for pain. Hurt for hurt. This is how we operate. This is the culture that we live in. And so I believe it requires a supernatural power to go, oh, hurt, I'm going to love. Pain, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to show grace. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to persevere. Talk is cheap. When things are going great, you say whatever you want. The question is, will you continue to say those same things when things don't go your way? That's the power we need. And that's the, the power that Paul is saying, when I come, you guys better have it. Otherwise, you are not the real deal. You are just balloon Christians. And you are leaking, and you will be exposed. But I'm going to come with the power of the gospel. The power of the cross. Now, you may be thinking, this, this might be just too much. It's like, wow, Paul, these are strong words. Sounds like Paul is really upset here. But he says these things because he loves them. He loves the Christians in Corinth. He loves the church. He says these things because he loves them. He's, he's called to speak truth in love. We hear this over and over again as we walk through the scriptures, that we are called to speak truth in love. And often it's, it's not fun. It's like salt to a wound. I don't want it. I don't want it, not realizing that it's actually necessary for me, for healing so that I might grow and flourish. He says this in verse 21, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? What do you wish? For me to come with you with a rod or to come with gentleness, with love? Now there's two interpretations here when we see the word rod. Some say, well, what Paul is saying is, man, I could come and beat you into submission. Right? I'll come with this rod and I'll beat you until you submit. 
That's the one interpretation. The, the other interpretation uh, which I hold to is when he speaks of a rod, this rod is also loving. It's also loving. Now, where do I get this from? Psalm 23. When David says, your rod and staff comfort me. Your rod comforts me. Now, now how does a rod comfort me? It's, it's a reminder. It's a reminder when the shepherd has the rod and maybe the sheep is going astray. It's a reminder that I still care for you and I still love you. That I haven't left you. And sometimes it hurts when you get that, just that, you know that one. The one that makes a noise. It hurts. But it's a reminder that I'm still here and I still love you. I know we're in different places here about punishment. But I'll put myself out there. So we don't spare the rod at home. We're Old Testament at home with our kids. Because often, 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 our oldest will want to rebel. She'll want chocolate at night before she goes to bed. She doesn't want to bathe. She doesn't want to go to sleep. And so, so she'll say, no, right? That's her favorite word right now, no. And she says it with confidence. I think she gets that from confidence. <laughs> no. She even does this now, guys. I kid you not. Papa, papa, no. And so the rod comes out. And I do that because I love her. It would be unloving to go, you know what, you can have as much chocolate as you want before you go to bed. Do it. It would be unloving to go, no, you, you don't have to bathe ever again. Sleep, come on. Sleep is for the weak. You can do whatever you want. It would be unloving to do that. And so I must apply discipline. And so when I see this word rod here, it's Paul saying, guys, I haven't left you. I haven't left you to go do whatever it is that you want to do. Because that would be incredibly unloving. And so do you want me to come with the rod that will hurt a little bit, but it's for your good? Or, or before the rod, with love in a spirit of gentleness. Before the rod, just listen. Stop. Whatever it is that you're doing, just stop and listen. There's no need for the rod because there's love and a spirit of gentleness. Now, this is countercultural. I had you in the beginning share what's the worst leadership experience that you've ever submitted to or been under. And hearing some of the stories, it's this, listen, you do what I say. Here's my title. I will withhold your salary from you. But what Paul's talking about here is counter-cultural. He says, I'm coming to love and serve you. I'm coming to love and serve you. It's a different kind of authority and leadership. Now, one might ask, like, where do you get that from? Paul, where did you get this from? I say this every week. You should know this by now if you're a regular. From Jesus. He gets it from Jesus because, remember, he's imitating Jesus. His eyes are fixed on the cross. The perfect servant, therefore the perfect leader. And he says, I, I watch Jesus. And so I, I imitate that in my leadership style, in the way I handled you. Let me take you to John 13 to show you how counter-cultural this is. John 13, if you've been in the church for a while, you would know this passage. 
It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, hear this, Jesus, knowing that the Father, the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Let's stop there. Jesus is aware that God has given him everything. He has given him everything. Or authority, or power, or knowledge. Everything has been given to him. Jesus also knows that he's about to be betrayed. And so, what do you think he does? Maybe pause for a moment. What would you do? I've been given everything. Man, I get up and perform one of the greatest miracles you've ever seen. That's what I do. I get up and I, and I show you how I can bend the earth or how I can speak things into existence, how I can reverse time. Man, I show off like you cannot believe my authority, my leadership. But notice what Jesus does. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. He then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Knowing fully that he's about to be betrayed. Being given all authority and all power. He says, I'm going to continue to serve and love. I'm going to continue to serve and love. Because this is for your benefit. This is for your good. This is so that you might flourish. And this is the leadership that we need. This is the leadership the church needs. This is the leadership the world needs. To go as far as to say, in desperate need of. And so I'll land the plane by simply asking you, will you be this leader? Will you be this leader? And if you say yes, you've got to acknowledge that this requires a supernatural power one that you do not possess, that comes from the cross, that shapes the way you sacrifice, that shapes the way you lead, that shapes the way you love, that shapes your commitment. So that when, not if, when you are confronted, you're able to love and show grace and mercy and serve. We are in desperate need of that kind of leadership. And my hope, my hope is that from today that, that this leadership would emerge, not only from here, but from all the churches that are scattered around the city and this nation and this world to fix their eyes on the cross and say we are willing, we are willing to submit to the word of God so that we might lead God's people so that they might flourish. Let's pray. And so, Father, with that very truth, we, we ask that you, would, that you would meet us where we are and that you would empower us where we are. And that you would not just leave us where we are, but, but through that power, it would take us, take us to a place where we might be utilized for your kingdom and for your glory. And so for some of us, it may require 
acknowledging that we need to submit to you. That first and foremost, we need to come to you. We need to come to the foot of the cross. Acknowledging that you are in control, that you are sovereign. But that also that you love us. You love us more than we could ever imagine. And so I, I pray, I plead that even from this church that leaders would rise not balloon Christians, but leaders who are willing to make the sacrifice because this is tough, this is hard, this is challenging. But it's necessary. It's necessary for us to flourish as your children. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.